0: You are listening to the Edge of the Bed podcast with me, Ryan Gadsby, the podcast where we share motivational and inspirational stories to help you get through the rest of your day and the rest of your week. I myself am a child abuse survivor, and I also want to use this platform to raise awareness for this and share some of the experiences and healing advice that I have. My main aim is to create a community of support for trauma survivors, no matter what walk of life you are from. And also to outline and share stories of people that deserve to have their stories heard. People who show real strength and resilience throughout their story, who can encourage others to live their lives to the fullest. Well, welcome back.
1: Good to be back.
0: I really enjoyed the podcast we did last time. Um, obviously, it were a lot of sensitive topics, but, um, you know, I think um, your story is very impactful. And, and like I said last time, it's going to help many people. So, um, yeah, thank you for choosing to share your story with all my viewers and, and yeah.
1: Thank you. That's the intention. And it already has uh, impacted a lot of people. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I anybody who wants to read it, so um that's my version of self-publishing right now uh my intention is to uh, publish it through a bigger publishing house and until that happens i'm giving it away so Mm.
0: um you mentioned to me that you need reviews on a site what is that site so people can can go to that and help you out a little bit there
1: gotcha well i only want um honest reviews from people who actually read the story um, Angel Blue is, is the name of the story, and my name is Forrest Lang with two R's. Um, so I don't want a bunch of uh, my integrity is very important to me, so I don't want any or any people who didn't actually read the book to go do it. What I want is for people to find me on Instagram at Angel Blue Book or um, on Facebook Forrest Lang and connect, read the book. And then I only ask in return if you if you enjoy reading it, give it 30 pages, give it 20 pages. If you don't like it, throw it away. But if you do read it and you do find it impactful or helpful, to leave an honest review. Even if you don't, if you read it, if you complete it, uh, please leave an honest review on on a site called Goodreads. Which is, I you know, there's many things that are that are important in the process of, of publishing a book. That is only one. You know, the speaking engagements that I will do. Post-COVID, or another um, growing platform, is another thing. Um, guys like us don't typically write books and get them published through a bigger house. Um, typically, we would self-publish. And mad respect to all the people who did. That's just not my
0: intention. So, if people want hold ebook, they can get in contact with you and then uh, and and be able to get a copy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The book's called Angel Blue. My name is Forrest Lang. You could message me on Goodreads, or you could reach out to me through. Uh, Instagram I'm, I follow you if you needed to find me it's Angel Blue Book is the name of my
0: Instagram. Yeah I'll put that on screen as well so everyone can can find the page and um, yeah so I guess uh, if we start off where we finished if that's okay
1: Sorry right, brother I just wanted to say real quick it's better if, if you just leave a comment somewhere because sometimes when people send me a message it gets filtered out and I don't see it so um, Yeah
0: No that's fine yeah um, so if it's alright could we start off um, where we left off I know that it's a really really hard topic to talk on um, but if if it's alright with you can we start from sort of where we left off
1: I have processed and processed and processed and processed I'm here and ready to talk about all of it so fire away you're not going to hurt my feelings
0: um so the last podcast ended, you spoke about your, um, the situation where you accidentally um, shot your friend, and, um, and then you spoke a little bit about your emotions uh, after that. So maybe if we go from the emotions when you sort of got arrested that night.
1: Um, so there, there are usually several factors in the accident. Um, it's usually not just one mistake. It's a series of mistakes or events now I 100% take responsibility for my actions. Uh, absolutely, you should never point a weapon at anybody loaded or unloaded or safe or unsafe or in, in any way for, unless you intend to kill that person. And I broke a fundamental safety rule and there was a lot of stuff that added up to that. But at the end of the day, you know, the pistol malfunctioned um, you know, my my weapons training was very poor. Um, the way I was trained around weapons when I was a child was very irresponsible, but I take responsibility for my part and my actions, and I also forgive myself for that accident, which has taken a lot of years. That aside, after that accident happened, I went from shock to grief to guilt to shock to grief for some time because it was a very horrific accident, and I had very long blank spaces where I disassociated. Um, In the immediate aftermath during the accident, I uh, screamed and cried and begged and moaned and made awful sounds. Thomas made awful sounds and I heard those sounds echoing through my mind. So it wasn't a light emotion. It wasn't a, um, okay, I'm, I'm sad and guilty or, know the way I've described it to people who understand heartbreak um if you know like when we lose our first love or that feeling of of heartbreak and loss multiply that times 50 or 100 and that's what I felt Um, it was very very horrific Um, and it took a long time many months before I could really complete coherent sentences or um you know, it, it was a tremendously traumatic event. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm sure, um, like the police on the night would have seen how you reacted and, and taken all that into consideration as well. Like, um, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't put handcuffs
1: on me. Uh, there, um, one of them testified for me in my trial a year later. Um, the, it was very clear and apparent to anybody who was anywhere near that situation that it was accidental.
0: Um, And you spoke a little bit then about your um, dissociation and and things. I did read about in the book, um, sort of like um, blacking out and things like that. Is that part of it? it, Yeah. Yeah. I I had periods where I blacked out. I, um, you know, I, I don't
1: remember them, uh, but people around me remember me blanking out. Uh, one of my friends, I was staying with him and his mother during the trial. She made sure I, I got to where I needed to go and went to Marshalls and bought me clothes and stuff like that for court, because I, I don't I don't typically dress for court. Um, I'm usually very casual. And um, my, my friend, I was staying with them, was driving home, and he saw me sit on the curb and he walked up to me and he said, hey, Forrest." he said my mouth was just open and I was drooling on myself with like a blank. And I don't, I don't recall that. I don't recall a lot of that year. Um, and it, it took some time to rebuild some mental resilience around that accident. It, that was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. Um, it was the catalyst for I will live and grow or I will die. I didn't have any kind of, um, from that moment on, I didn't have any option to backslide or not push forward. And the reason I did was because Thomas wanted me to live and he taught me how to live. And I felt that I would dishonor him if I went back to drinking and using drugs and overdosed or went to prison or did something like that. I didn't feel it would dishonor him if I died saving somebody. that That's why after I was acquitted at, at trial and I was living out of my car and the war in Iraq started, I decided that I would rejoin the military and give my life in combat because I felt that being a hospital corpsman, a, a medical assistant or uh, basic medical provider for fighting marines that it would be an honorable way to die if i were able to jump on a grenade or give my life somehow in the theater of war
0: Hmm. so in a way that came from sort of not like a suicidal thing but it was like all the guilt built up so much you felt that you owed owed your life for what had happened
1: i didn't want to be remembered as the guy who accidentally killed his best friend. I wanted to be remembered as the guy who died in combat or someone else.
0: And so, and so joining, um, the military, um, what was that like? What was your experience like with that?
1: I was familiar because I had already been in, uh, it took a little to readjust because i had already gotten very, uh, Undisciplined um, with my time schedules and the way I spoke and the way I acted, so it took a it took a few months to adjust be to being back into the military and learning how to put everything away and not telling very many people about the accident. Um, you know, I was never convicted of a crime, so I was able to go back in via the reserves and and then volunteer for activation. I was physically out of shape and. But it was good. I, you know, I had three meals a day again, structure again, leadership again, steady paycheck again. Uh, I, I moved up out of living in a state of crisis because when we're without a safe home, uh, shelter, it's a very basic human need. We're we're in a constant state, and it's very difficult to do any kind of um, conscious psychological work on ourselves if our basic food shelter,
0: clothing sex yeah um, and so so you did a lot of, would you say you did a lot of your like emotional and things like rebuilding uh, in the military, I know it doesn't happen like overnight, it's a long like, it's a life long thing um, but would you say that journey started it started back up again, yes. Uh, and, you know I was
1: going to counseling uh, for a little while. I was living on the street, <laughs> staying wherever again, just the same as my childhood. And the routine, the routine was so imperative. Routine is very imperative after trauma. So having a place I was supposed to go every day, things I did daily, the exercise, all that stuff. Yes, absolutely, it helped. it helped during the healing process it wasn't enough but it helped
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah what you were saying with routine uh, even though my trauma is a little bit different it um like my routine goes out of the out of the way a little bit or changes like it does mess me up quite a bit like i feel like i don't know why but routine for like like you say trauma people who've been through trauma it just seems to seems to help out quite a bit there,
1: there's something really important to remember too when we when we go about comparing trauma, right? Um, mine isn't as bad as yours, or yours isn't as bad as mine. Well, when we talk about physical pain, when we go to the doctor, the doctor asks us, What is our pain on a scale of zero to ten? 10 being the worst pain that you have ever felt. So pain is subjective, right? So the worst. Trauma that had bro. And what happened to you was horrific, horrific, awful. And we we don't uh, we don't belittle our own experience ever. And we're, we're very careful to say what was worse or what was not. Sometimes it's obvious, right? Like if you scrape your knee. It's the first time you scraped your knee, and then Billy next door breaks his arm and his jaw. Obviously, he's going to get some more medical attention than you are, you know.
0: But we're, we we want to be careful in, in that arena. I'll just I'll say that's the first metaphor this episode. <laughs> 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 Many more to come. <laughs> um... But yeah, I completely agree. It's just awkward ground, isn't it, when you're talking to someone else who's who's been through trauma? Like, um, it's like comparing experiences without sounding like um, you're saying it's the same. Do you know? What, you know what I'm trying to say? I also want to be careful <clears throat> and not, um,
1: not lead anyone to believe them deflecting by talking about solution consistently. That's not it. It was bad, it, it was bad, really bad. But if I just sit here and tell you every horrific thing and that's all I say, what good am I doing? What, what good am I doing to anybody other than myself? Now there is there's room and space for that. There's room and space for us to vomit out what happened to us and what happened to us and what happened to us, but sometimes we can get stuck in that cycle of what happened, what happened, what happened. And eventually, eventually, after after a lot of work, there comes a time to, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? I I have earned through my blood and sweat and tears the right to be miserable on this earth. And so have you, Ryan. Uh-huh. Thank you, ma'am. Ryan, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Brian. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you as Ryan, you have earned the right to be an extremely unhappy person, to act out violently, to uh, be, be a victim. You have earned that. Do you want to exercise it? I don't either. Right. Yeah. I don't. So, that i'm not deflecting when i bring solution into everything that i talk about because we're talking about heavy things and i don't expect somebody to read a book or listen to a podcast or have one session with a therapist and all of a sudden everything click this is a long road this is a this is a long road of healing and especially when there's significant damage and trauma but the joy is in the healing the joy is in each step moving forward so Although me and you and people listening had really traumatic, ugly things happen. There's so much joy ahead with each win, with each step in recovery. There we get to relieve pain slowly over a period of time. And the relief when we take away that pain is so incredible. It's so incredible.
0: Mm. See, I did um, my first podcast episode, I told my story, and then the second one I did healing from abuse and depression. And uh, in that I said that, um, you know, if we force ourselves to heal or not even try and heal at all, it's like climbing a wall without ladders. You know, you can you can climb that wall, uh, but you might fall, you might hurt yourself. But if you have ladders and steps and small little steps, um, you can get up the wall probably safer, no problem. It might take a little bit longer um but in the, in the long run you're going to be a lot steadier on that wall but you
1: know what the great thing is is that all we have to do is allow ourselves to heal if we are physically wounded our, our physical body is very much like our spiritual body our physical body wants to heal it just does it automatically if we let it if we take care of our body it'll start to heal itself Right, We go to the doctor, we get the bone set, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, Sorry, another metaphor. (laughs) But it just simplifies things for me. And so my spirit wants to heal, is driven, is moving towards healing. Where I get the problem is when I resist healing. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I got into a thing for a while where I started counselling, but it was just after I got out of the abuse. So I was like, it just... Every time it would come to the time of week where I go counselling, I was like, I don't really want to talk about this anymore. And, and by the end of it, um, I was going counselling and I was talking about how I went to shop and got some milk. You know, it just, it wasn't, I was, it wasn't doing the thing that it was meant to do. And I think just take it step by step and don't be like too harsh on yourself. And But also, but also bring it up now and again. Like I feel like it is important not to just ignore it. You, you do need time where you i i genuinely sometimes i just sit and think about what has happened in my life and it helps to sort of create a little timeline sometimes just to just to deal with that but like i say it's all with with um the amount that you do i think if you focus every day like you were saying on what has happened to you um and and that's all you talk about and you're miserable um yeah you're not you're not gonna grow and you're not gonna you're not gonna heal um to acknowledge and move on acknowledge
1: acknowledge move on and there's no race trauma recovery is not a race it's a it can be a slow process it can be a fast process it's very individual so i don't measure how quickly i'm able to recover against
0: how quickly you're able to recover i don't do that what are things um did you take part in in your recovery like, what, what things have helped you? The
1: first thing was a war. <laughs> I um, was able to go to Iraq with a incredible group of Marines. And whether or not you agree with the politics of war and the war in Iraq, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with being there for my brothers, being ready and willing to do whatever I needed to do to keep them alive and sacrifice everything up into my own life to keep them alive and safe and to feel completely connected to a tribe of human beings, to feel valued, to feel a sense of honor and to feel respected by my peers once again. Uh, although war is ugly, it's a horrible thing. I don't wish it on anybody or any country. Uh, the, the impact that it had on me at the time to be able to be there as a healer in the midst of all that ugliness was tremendous. Yeah. Um, then getting home, um, redeveloping a sense of re- first, Place to live, steady job, career, uh, clothing, food, water, sex, basics, right? And then uh, community connection, um, routine, stability, uh, developing those. I really like Maslow's hierarchy. I don't know if you say his name Maslow or Maslow. Hierarchy of needs is the triangle with the different levels. It makes a lot of sense to me. And so it it took me some time to develop those first one, two, three um, sets on the foundation and then re-entering counseling and therapy. And, man, years, years of just going to therapy, seeing a good psychiatrist, um, continuing 12-step work, um, and then... I'll let you I'll let you take it from there because that, that's about a 10 year span. <laughs> that's that's about 10 years of just working hard and taking rigorous inventory of myself, maintaining my sobriety and, and being in therapy, both. Um, I don't know how, how you what the good working man's words are for the the medical doctor for your brain. <laughs> and then a spiritual doctor for your brain right because mm. there's psych- and psychiatry so I, I participated in both
0: yeah yeah and i've been thinking about going into therapy and something like that again but is it something that you recommend for sure for everyone
1: everyone's different but it's just something that i do now you know uh Maybe therapy's not, I don't know if therapy's right for everybody, but I've never really met anybody who had a good therapist who was bad for. Maybe there is some I've met, and it's, for for me, it's just something that I do now. It's like, uh, I eat, I sleep, I wear clothes, I go to the bathroom, I work, I go to therapy. It's just like, because it's such a great tool for me and there's always new there's always something more and not every therapist is great I like to see a therapist who has a therapist Uh, most of them are wounded healers as well Um, and if I don't I, I give I give a person a couple months and if I don't get along or I don't feel like they're invested then I move on to somebody else it's not something that i need to do i'm not like oh i need to go to therapy today or i need to go to a meeting or i need it's just something that i do that improves my life
0: yeah yeah it's just like part of your routine no
1: forever i just know that for the last i don't know five years or so i've gone pretty regularly
0: you know and when you started um, writing your book bringing up all them experiences did that have like a mental effect on you or was that um or was that like quite a healing effect or what what was that I like re- over and
1: over and over again i relived all of it so intensely um i don't really recommend it it sucks really a book <laughs> especially one about recovery from I refelt it all. And then to refeel it as an adult and really look back and see what happened to myself. Because obviously we we know ourselves the most. We have um more awareness of our own um feelings than we do of other people's, right? So, you know, some people are more or less empathetic where they feel other people's feelings and can can empathize or sympathize with somebody but for ourselves, we feel it the most because we're right here and there, there were moments um I, I had not had a screening flashback uh, about thomas dying in eight or nine years and when i got to that part in the book i had a screaming flashback again um it, it was very intense reliving in detail because one of the things that we learned how to do when, when we uh, relay our trauma timeline, it's pretty easy for me to say, I uh, grew up real poor. We ate at a dumpsters, My mom was abusive. My older brother molested me. I got took away. Went into foster care. Uh, my foster mom molested me. She tried to kill me when I was 16. I lived on the street and then uh, got in the military at 18, got out. I accidentally shot and killed my best friend. Went on trial for murder. Went was acquitted, went back into the military, went to the war in Iraq, came home and leaned hard into recovery and built a beautiful life and I'm still healing and I'm able to heal from a lot of those things. That's easy to say. You know why? Because I've said it millions of times in one way or another. But if I tell you something in painted, vivid detail, I'm not rehearsed on saying that and my um, myself is not calloused to that story does that make sense
0: yeah, yeah yeah
1: and so everything writing a book is telling an intense detail painting a whole picture of everything that happened and putting the person reading it there with me so they can be right there next to me and when i'm showing somebody in that in, in, in amount of intensity something so ugly something so ugly and i i wasn't um I've read a lot of books and and most times books are sexually explicit. Um, You know, books just tend to be more that way. And and I was not ever uh, explicit in that way, especially because of how horrible and ugly um, what happened to me when I was a kid was. But I was emotionally explicit. I, I was visually... You know, I, I would enter a scene and slow down after an act was committed on my body at 12 years old, and how the feeling—how it felt like I had bugs crawling on my face—it felt gross. Something was wrong, and then uh, I, I didn't dive into any kind of pornographic uh, writing, but the person's still there. People can see things without, um, the, 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 the dirty sheets, you know, the, um, the grossness of the situation and then, you know, my foster father coming home unexpectedly and me having to run into the bathroom and belly really fast so he wouldn't see me because I was naked with his wife and she had me convinced that he would kill us. Uh, He would kill me. He would blame it on me and kill me if he found out. And then we would go to jail if I wasn't dead. You know, so there, that was one of my first really vivid flashbacks, you know, of of that time. Um, So I take people into the ugly and it hurts. It hurts. Um, I've read it aloud several times just to maybe like 50 times just to catch errors and Mm. so it's gotten a lot better to be in that book and when the time comes to do an audiobook i'll be able to get through it without crying i believe
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean when i was reading the book i could you know it was creating images and it was creating like you felt i felt like i was there you know and i'm i'm not much of a reader i don't read loads and loads of books but like but yeah i really enjoyed reading that so um in
1: 2015, I had a
0: nervous breakdown,
1: and I failed in business, and I lost everything. Uh, my, my partner left. Uh, I lost my home. I lost all my, pretty much all my earthly possessions, and I, and I had been relatively successful, and I based a lot of my work on what I had and what I was able to create physically. And I almost committed suicide in 2015, which is only six years ago. I I had an opportunity to go through some more experiential healing at that point. Uh, I went through the process of initiation, uh, which is an old technology that humans have done for thousands of years. The requirements for initiation are uh, held in a a space that's considered sacred or important, guided by elders uh, or people who are considered to be of elder wisdom uh, in in a closed container meaning you only see the participants um, and you face your own death and a transitional object is given. Five days fundamentally changed the course of my life, changed who I am inside, helped me mature from a boy to being a man. Now, we we were were taught meditation. I, I started to meditate on a regular basis. Obviously, I still made a lot of mistakes and I was a, a brand new initiated man and was very, very happy from the relief. And I have a tendency to get manic when something doesn't hurt anymore. I'm just like, woohoo. Um, but continued to work hard, continued to lean in. I, I, I continued to take personal development courses, to volunteer with veterans organizations, um, to, to just narrow in and find formulas that work for me. Like the five pillars of self-care, eat, sleep, exercise, medical care and hygiene, self-love, right? Very easy five, five things that I get to do to make sure that my house is in order. The five pillars of servant leadership. I hope I don't mess this up. Service, service to other people, uh, contribution, right? So giving a portion of, of my wealth to someone who does something that I believe in. Um, study, uh, specifically spiritual study, right? Uh, affirmation or prayer. So I use affirmations because that, that's the way um, I it's easiest for me. Service, study, contribution, affirmation. There's one more. I, I got to look at them. I'm nervous because I'm talking to you, but the five pillars of servant leadership. Um, and I'll, I'll post them since I blanked on that right now. I still get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But <clears throat> each individual has their own formula for recovery. Find it through allowing ourselves to heal. And my wish and my intention is to set mine before the world. People can take what
0: works for them and leave the
1: rest
0: yeah it's just uh, trial and error trial and error just keep working to, to heal
1: mm-hmm. and, and follow the examples of others who healed and do what they did if it doesn't work do something else or who yeah. are
0: healing mm. yeah great well thank you for that thanks for sharing that um, and yeah thanks for coming on um, I hope to stay in touch with you um, and catch up now and again and um, and yeah it's, been, sure. it's been, yeah it's been fun
1: I'd like to uh, come on again when you have uh, like uh, 200,000 or 300,000 listeners
0: <laughs> let's hope let's hope so <laughs> and for sure you will def- you can definitely come back on
1: <laughs> first off doing you know what you're doing you're doing a good
0: job thank you yeah thank you